Good morning and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. First, let me apologize for not having a podcast yesterday. What happened was that um, on Saturday, I had pretty severe food poisoning and so didn't sleep the whole of Saturday night. So Sunday, I was in quite a stupor and was just a wonder that I survived the church service. But I didn't want to share this very important topic for uh, with a cloudy, clouded mind and so I thought better to skip it and push it to a, another day when I was uh, in more better control of my faculties. But this topic that I want to share is a very important one. It's about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We all need to know how we are assessed. What does it mean to be a good disciple? We need to have markers KPIs, directions to know whether we are living as a disciple well or living it badly. If we didn't have all these uh, landmarks and, and markers, then what happens is that we don't aim straight and we go all over the place. We don't know what it means, what it takes to be great or to be a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. And so when the disciples ask Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It didn't mean that they were wrong or they were being overly proud. It simply meant that they needed to know what it was that they were aiming for. What are the criteria for assessment of what it means to be a disciple? And that's so important for us. And what we read then in this passage is something that shakes us and shocks us perhaps because it's nothing like what we always thought it was. A disciple isn't what we often describe a disciple to be. Rather, it's quite the opposite. And so let's look at the Word of God. Let us pray first. Father, speak to us. Tell us what really is in your heart. Tell us what you value in us and for us. Teach us, Lord, how to live our lives, that we may fulfill that which you have called us to be, and that indeed we may be great in your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 9. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 9. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
This passage is especially perplexing and very frustrating for this reason. Jesus doesn't define what a little child is like. I would so much rather he did it like in the Beatitudes. A child is meek, a child is poor in spirit, a child is peace-loving. I would so much rather he enumerate the qualities of children so that I would know exactly what a child is like and what's expected of me, what the KPIs are for Christian living. But Jesus simply says, be like a child unless you change and be like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a difficult thought indeed. What do you expect me to be like? Like a child, but what part of the child? I don't know. And I think Jesus did this very deliberately. He did it because he wants us to learn from children. And in order to learn from children, we got to be with children. We got to be their playmates. We got to be their friends. We got to be their students. Now that's pretty bad news for many of us. And I'm not talking about singles or those who've grown up children because those who've grown up children generally have grandchildren, so you enjoy them. And many singles that I know, most singles I know have nephews and nieces whom they dote on and so they always have lovely children to be with. But many of us who don't think much about spending time or wasting time with children, we've got more important things to do in church, we've got difficult discussions to make, we've got to prepare for service, I've got to preach, I've got to see about the attendance and all the things that are necessary for church worship. And then in my day-to-day -day work, I've got so many issues. Children, children are, well, they're not too significant. Even when I talk to people, when a family comes, I would want to know the father's name and the mother's name. And, oh, children, hi, your children, okay. And that's it. But what this passage means is that I've got to change, first of all, change my paradigm what is important, my priorities or what is important. Children are important, not just for parents, but for each of us who want to enter the kingdom of heaven. We got to be with them. We got to learn from them, watch them, spend time with them. How difficult is that? Well, actually, how easy is that? We have got lots of children in our church. The question is, how do we connect with our children? How do we connect with all the children in our church, in our community? How do we get to observe them and learn from them and then be like them? Because Jesus says in verse 4, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just to be lording over them like I am the adult, I am the grown-up and you are the kid. Now get out of my sight or don't let me hear you squeal but rather to be like a child, to understand a child, to be their friend, to be accepted as their friend. And then he says in verse 5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. It means children are so important. When we welcome people into our church, it's so important to welcome their children into our church. To know the names of the children, to talk to children, to know what they like, what they dislike, what they are like, what makes them tick, and to have them like us as well. When we were studying in the States, I learned how different the American system of education, or maybe it was just that kindergarten, I don't know. But when we brought Kimberly to the kindergarten, 
It was the teacher spoke with her and ignored us. And that was such a pleasant surprise because the teacher would talk to Kim and then she, she would say to Kim, would you like your parents to, to walk with you to explore the school without asking us a question? The approval, approval was from Kim. Would you like your parents to come with you? I really liked that idea because it made children feel so important that this was a school, their school, a school for them. And they were important people. The teachers spoke with children with great respect. When we came back to Singapore, the system was completely different. We met with a primary one teacher and the teacher spoke with us and didn't even have half a glance at who she was or what she was like. We were the important ones. She was ancillary to the education. That was primary one. She was a student, but she was insignificant in the school. How sadly we have gone wrong. And we need to change that perspective, first of all. The children are important to our school, and so to our church. And so when we start our children's ministry coming Sunday, let's really give them a rousing welcome. They are our children. They are our teachers. They are the ones we need to welcome people with us. And then prayerfully explore ways in which you can spend time with kids. And one day soon, <laughs> sorry, this is a sabo to Auntie Meg, but our dear Auntie Meg, I'm going to ask her to come and teach us, whether by podcast or over the pulpit, she and her team, on what it means to spend time with kids, what it means to learn from children and be like a child. But that's important because it's the only way we can really change and become like little children. But what a radical thought. When you think of all the things that we could achieve, the miracles we could do, the church growth that we could achieve, um, the dreams that we have for the community, we think of all these KPIs, and then Jesus says, really none of that. Just be a kid. Be like a kid. And come to me like a kid. And you will have the kingdom of heaven. I don't know, it's a very difficult call. When we talk about strict discipleship and uh, leading a very disciplined life and all that, and then Jesus says, no, actually, not any of that. Just be a kid. Now, I don't know very much. I, haven't sp I must admit, I haven't spent much time with kids ever since my daughter grew up. Um, not much kids. Yesterday over lunch, we had a kid, a real noisy kid attention seeker. Uh, well, <laughs> parents and grandparents are running all over him. But it was enjoyable watching him. And so I'd like to share just three thoughts. I bet you Auntie Meg and her team will laugh at the thoughts that I have and they would have a hundred other thoughts and that would be great. But I'd like to share just three thoughts with you first on what I think being a kid means. First of all, it is being wide-eyed and filled with wonder. Wide-eyed and filled with wonder. A friend of mine half complained and half was proud about it, boasted about the relationship between her father, her husband and her daughter. And she said, my daughter's three favourite words are, my daddy says, 
In every conversation, she'll say, my daddy says this, my daddy says that, my daddy says God created the earth, my daddy says it's going to rain this afternoon, my daddy says he will take me out this afternoon, my daddy says if anything's broken, he will fix it. Everything was, my daddy says. And I'm quite tired of it because she never says, my mummy says this or my mummy says that. It's always, my daddy says. And it got me thinking about a wide-eyed whether we have ever have a wide-eyed trust and belief in our God, whether we could have the same wide-eyed attitude of this little child, this little girl, who trusted her father completely. Everything that her father said was true. In fact, this mother said she thinks her father is God. And I wondered, well, do I even think that God is my father? But I wish... I had that simple trust too. I wish that I could trust and say, well, God says this, my dad says this, and therefore I believe him. My dad says to be meek, the meek will inherit the earth, and I scratch my head and say, you, where are you living? You are not living the real world. I am living the real world. Where on earth are you? Oh, when God says, blessed are the poor in spirit, but there is the kingdom of heaven. And I say, what on earth are you talking about? When God tells me to trust Him and not to worry about what to drink and what to eat and what to wear, and I look at Him in unbelief, disbelief and unbelief, and I say, I don't understand you, I don't want, I don't believe you. And I wonder whether I could ever change and have that wide-eyed belief again of what my Father says is true. That I would believe that God is my Father and that my Heavenly Father is God, and that to Him nothing is impossible. I think we can only enter the kingdom of heaven when we have that wide-eyed trust and belief in our Heavenly Father. The second thought that I have is that there is an innate ability of children to know the character of the caregivers. Well, it's very funny because when Kim was just a few weeks old or at the most one or two months old, our friends were commenting that she had a different way of crying to each of us, to Jeannie and myself. To Jeannie, it was soft, it was mild, it was almost polite. To me, it was fierce and angry and almost and very demanding. And then we started watching and it was true that she was very soft to Jeannie. You see, Jeannie is a no-nonsense, yes-no kind of person, don't mess with me kind of mother. And so Kim learned in month one, month two, that she had to be soft to win, to get what she wanted from her mother. For me, it was like, oh, come on, you silly fool, come and do this for me, do that for me. I want it right now. And she knew that I was that doting, self-declared slave of my child kind of father. And so she knew exactly how each of us was. And she responded, she addressed us, engaged us. Even before she could talk, before she could, she could do anything, she had the innate ability to know our character, to know what we were like. I think of this innate ability that God has given to us. This is what Romans 8.16 tells us. Romans 8.16 The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. When the writer says the Spirit testifies that we are God's children, I don't think he simply means that keeps telling us you're God's child, you're God's child, you're God's child. I think what it meant was that he tells us what our Father is like and what who we are to our Father. That the Spirit testifies to our spirit the nature of our God, how huge, how immense our God is, how much He loves us, how though we are smaller than the finest speck of dust, that we are precious in His sight, that He sees us clearly and holds us to His heart. I believe that's what the Spirit tells us. But over many years of cynicism, we have stopped being able to hear God's voice. You know, so often we say, I can't hear God. The reality is that God speaks a lot to us. He tells us things about Himself, about God. He tells us things about ourselves. He tells us what, how to live. You know, the Bible, Jesus also says, when the Spirit comes to you, He will tell you all things about me and bring to mind all that I've taught, all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And one of the things then about being a child again is to regain the innate ability to know our Father. God is not unknown to us. God does not hide himself from us. In fact, God tells us, wants us so, so badly, wants us to know him. And we need then to change and to say, God, I want back the innate ability to know you, to know what you're like, to know how you regard me, to know when you're happy, when you're sad, to know your character. When we change and ask God for that ability to be reinstalled in our lives, then we will know God better. The third thought is about playing. We were very privileged that I was studying in, well, both Jeannie and I were studying the States um, when Kim was about five years old. And that was like the best time of our lives. Kim and I were inseparable. Um, other than being in school, where I couldn't follow her, I would wait for her to come home by school bus, and then we would romp the whole place. And we'd play anything. Sometimes we'd just sit around and she would play on her own, she would dance, she would look at grass. Other times she would have me as a playmate. And that's the thing about being an, uh, having an only child. Uh, you end up being your child's playmate. And that could be very time consuming, but it was a great privilege as well. When I became her playmate and we spent hours floating leaves and paper boats, well, we spent more time floating leaves because after a while we realized that we were littering. And so we floated leaves down a little stream. And we did things that she would never have done on her own. But we went on adventures. We waded in cold, icy cold stream water. We walked through long grasses. We explored cemeteries. And she was creative. We played a lot. Spent so much time together. Sometimes I would be taking her to see new things, but often she would be dragging me around to see things. And I think also of God and us. How God would love us to be inseparable from Him. How God would love us to bring Him into our classroom, to bring Him into our office, to bring Him wherever we go. Sometimes to exciting new places, sometimes to mundane jobs. 
but always to bring God along with us. How God must long to be inseparable from us. A neurosurgeon friend of mine told me how he always wondered every time he operated. And I thought, man, this guy opens heads. He looks at brains and he says, every time I open up a head, I stare in wonder at what God has done. And I pray to be, referen to be referential to that brain and to that person. He brings God into every operation theatre and he sees the wonder of God. And sometimes operations are tough, but he knows that God is there with him. I would so much want that for our church, that sense of bringing God into every situation. And sometimes it's tough because some of our family situations are not the happiest. But those are the times when we would want God to hold our hand. Frightening times, things that we, places that we would not normally go on our own, but that we could go with greater confidence if our Father went with us. You know, these are my hopes for our church. That rather than be very concerned about many, many things, that we be a church that just wants to stare in wide-eyed awe at our God and to think of Him and to know Him more and more. That we be a community that seeks one thing to know God and to trust Him, to hear Him speak to us individually and corporately, to have Him everywhere we go, in good circumstances, in fun places, in parties that we go to, in having f in family dinners that we have, but also in very difficult and painful times, in family conflicts, in the boardroom where difficult decisions are made, where there is toxicity in the office and hostility in the office, that we bring God with us to hold our hand and we just depend on God and say, but my Father says that He will fix this. Let us pray. Father, make us like children once again. Give us that childlike faith that, that trusts in everything that you say and believes in everything that you say. Father, we have gone so far from that. We have stopped trusting you. We have not dared to rest in you. But you tell us that we can't enter your kingdom until we we have that wide-eyed trust in you, that believe that everything you say is true. And then, God, you keep wanting us to know you, but we have doubt your voice. No wonder, Lord, you say, woe to him who, woe to him who causes your children to stumble. Because the world has become a far worse place when we have stopped trusting you, when we have stopped knowing you, when we have stopped taking you everywhere we go and following you everywhere you lead us. And God, we want you to restore that to us as individuals and as a community. That even as a church, we may know that you are, we may want above all else that you be present with us. 
not about how big the attendance is or who's coming and, and all that, but about whether you are there and whether you will welcome us and whether you minister to us and the surprises that you spring on us that cheer us and lift us up. We want that, Lord. We want always to have you as centre of our attention and of our love. And Father, above all, teach us to welcome children, not to see them as insignificant part of the church, not to see them as kids that we hive away, put aside in one room so that we can do our adult worship, but that, God, we will learn from children. and We will be like children and we will be with children too. That in the process of our growing and our worship, we may indeed enter your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I'll see you all again, talk to you all again tomorrow. Have a blessed day. Goodbye.